At its peak, the United States exported nearly 70% of our recycled goods to China, nearly 7 million tons per year. However, this all changed at the outset of 2018 when China implemented their national sword policy, which set strict parameters on recycled goods and rendered much of our export unacceptable. Truth be told, recycling is something Americans have never been particularly good at. We don't separate our trash, we don't clean our recyclables, and often our products are hardly worth recycling in the first place. But where there is failure lies opportunity, something Tom Zaki recognized with his company's TerraCycle and Loop. This is In Good Hands, a show about the businesses and founders solving our climate crisis. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and today, how Tom and his teams are rethinking the product life cycle, turning our trash into treasure. Tom, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So Tom, let's start with TerraCycle. What is it? Well, so TerraCycle's mission is to eliminate the idea of waste. Technically, you'd call us a waste management company. We actually are coincidentally in many countries around the world, smartly owned by waste management companies. But we try to do everything waste management companies don't do. So simply speaking, TerraCycle's on this mission to eliminate the idea of waste. And we do that first by making things that are non-recyclable, recyclable, like cigarette butts, dirty diapers, chewing gum, you name it. And then secondarily, by integrating waste back into products, really trying to make those disposable objects in our lives as circular as possible. What I'd like to do before diving in is rewinding a bit. What were you doing before TerraCycle and what was the Eureka moment? Sure. So my story began, I was born in Budapest in 1982. And I mentioned that just because it was still communist uh, at the time under sort of Russian Iron Curtain. And in 1986, Chernobyl happened, which uh, destabilized the border. So we were able to leave. Then as effectively as political refugees ended up in Germany, then uh, Holland, then Belgium, and then finally over to uh, Canada when I was about uh, seven or eight. And then grew up in Canada for all intents and purposes, and then came down to university in the United States, which is how I ended up in New Jersey. And I mentioned the story because I went from communism to the heartland of capitalism. And what I've tried to do in business is how do we combine the benefits of both and create sort of a social enterprise, which is a for-profit organization that puts purpose first, how it benefits, in our uh, case, the environment and then society, and then to be able to do so while making a profit. And the idea for TerraCycle really emerged in my freshman year of college. You know, this concept of waste was really intriguing to me because, you know, everything in the world becomes garbage. And not only will everything we own be waste uh, one day, we will actually end up paying a garbage company to take it away from us. So there's a lot of sort of interesting economic theories in waste that really twist the idea of how raw materials usually work and usually behave. I ended up leaving school in the middle of my second year to uh, dedicate myself to TerraCycle full time. And that was now about 16, 17 years ago. Okay, so I have to dive in a little bit further there. You're in your second year and you decide to leave and go all in on TerraCycle. What was the signal that, you know what, this is worth taking a leap of faith into? It's a good question, you know, and looking at it in retrospect, probably not as much as you would have wanted to leave school, you know, but A, I just love this idea of trying to create a purposeful business, also really was intrigued, you know, by the theory of waste. And 
The first thing we did when we started was actually liquid worm poop and use soda bottles. Uh, so we were taking organic waste, feeding it to worms, taking the resulting worm poop, uh, liquefying it into a tea, if you will, and then packaging that in uh, used soda bottles. And that became how ter- that, that was how TerraCycle started, effectively as a fertilizer company, making products out of waste. And we've significantly evolved since then. But that was the very beginning. Okay, so that's super interesting. And for our listeners, I'd love to now fast forward slightly into TerraCycle today. Can you speak to one or two of your more popular programs, how they materialized, how they work end-to-end, just so our listeners can really understand how it works? Yes, absolutely. So TerraCycle has two major functions, right? The first is to recycle what is hard to recycle. And the second is to integrate waste back into consumer products. So we do this today nationally in 21 countries around the world. And in the first model, the collect and recycle things that are hard to recycle, the things that we focus on are how do we create platforms for each waste stream where we think about how to collect it, how to process it, and how to get someone, of course, to fund it and pay for it. So a simple way that you would potentially interact with TerraCycle is you go to uh, TerraCycle.com, pick the country where you want to collect waste. Say you pick the United States, you'd probably see hundreds and hundreds of programs that you could uh, choose from. And uh, some programs will be free, which means they're funded by brands or retailers. So it could be someone like Colgate funding toothpaste tube recycling and toothbrush recycling, or L'Oreal, Garnier funding cosmetic recycling, or you know, many, many other examples. And if we don't have a retailer or a brand to fund it, then we would offer versions of the programs where people can pay for it. Uh, that would be like our zero waste box platform. And so you would you know, pick the waste stream or waste streams that you want to uh, collect and recycle. You know, again, some would be free and some would be paid. And in all cases, you know, uh, we pick up the waste. In the free programs, we may even give a uh, donation to a school or charity of your choice for every piece of waste you collect. And then we take the waste and we think about once we receive it, how can we reuse it? That would be like taking margarine containers and growing plants from them to be sold at Walmart or upcycle them. That would be like taking juice pouches and making backpacks sold at other major retailers. Or it could be uh, recycle them where we take, say, like cigarette butts, shred them, separate the organics and compost that and then take the filter and maybe make it into an ashtray or a shipping pallet or something. That program is, you know, or this platform, if you will, has gotten quite large. Today, there's about a million collection points around the world and about a quarter billion people who participate in these programs. Part of the thing that scared me most about the onset of National Sword and the ripple effect is it really changes the math around the marketplace. We have these tons of supply, but without buyers at the end of it, the waste just sits there and then most likely ends up in a landfill and we burn it and repeat. And that issue gets worse and worse as there's less buyers that will take on the product and repurpose it. Something that you tweeted last month and I'll read it out loud. My team and I are honored that TerraCycle is the supply chain of two of these amazing ocean plastic products, Herbal Essences and Ren Skincare. Can you unpack that? What, what does that mean? Absolutely. So that falls really into the second division of TerraCycle, where it's not about the collection and recycling of waste, but instead the integration of unique waste streams, in this case like ocean plastic, back into consumer products. So with uh, Ren Clean Skincare, which is like a luxury skincare brand, we make a PET bottle with them that is 100% recycled polymer, and 20% of that is ocean plastic. Or with Herbal Essence and Head & Shoulders, we make a shampoo bottle that is made uh, 25% uh, from ocean plastic. And what we do in this scenario is we set up these global supply chains where we collect, in the case of ocean plastic, plastic directly from the ocean, from lakes and rivers. And then if it's washed up on the land, it has to be within the tidal range, so where the tide would have gone up or down. 
And we engage with thousands and thousands of volunteer organizations. We give them supplies to help them collect the waste, free transportation. And then from there, the waste goes into one of our facilities where it's checked in. We do manual sortation, sort out any non-plastic material that may be there. It could be like dead animals or you know other things, some pretty uh, you know uh, horrific stuff ends up in this material. And then we process it into a high-grade plastic, uh, which then goes into these famous products from Procter & Gamble or Unilever and, uh, and other such examples. And then that goes out on, onto the shelf. Coming up in just a sec, Tom talks about recycling is only a temporary solution and how we can make a more perfect solution with his new company, Loop. But before we get there, I'm so excited to tell you about this season's sponsor, Bite Toothpaste Bits. Bite is this totally new take on toothpaste. It's free of harsh chemicals, preservatives, and most importantly, plastic. So instead of the sticky paste and plastic tubes that linger in landfills, you pop a tablet in your mouth, you bite down, and you start brushing. It foams up just like the regular mint toothpaste. And here's the cherry on top. So Bite has never extended a discount on their product before, until today. For the first time, Bite is offering listeners of this show an exclusive offer on your first four-month subscription. So if you go to bitetoothpastebits.com, you use the code INGOODHANDS, you'll get $5 off plus free shipping. So that's code INGOODHANDS and see why thousands of customers rate Bite five stars. We brush our teeth at least twice a day every day, right? We're gonna need toothpaste. So why not choose a cleaner, all natural alternative that's just as effective, if not more, and fun to use. So try out their flagship four month supply at bitetoothpastebits.com. Use code INGOODHANDS and let us know what you think. Now back to the episode. I think this is a, a good opportunity to transition slightly. I'm going to pull another tweet that you made. Again, I, as you can tell, I'm a fan. You wrote, if you looked up the word recycling in a dictionary, it would be bound to the word waste. That's why recycling, and I say this as a recycling company, is only a temporary solution, not a perfect solution. Can we unpack that? What does that mean? We live in a disposable world. And really the idea of waste, and I've now written uh, four books on this topic, and it always comes back to the same thing, which is that the idea of waste was invented in the 1950s when disposability came to bear. You know, we love to vilify plastic, but I don't think plastic is the true enemy. I think it's the idea of using something once, whether it's a fiber, like a cup, whether it's an alloy, like an aluminum can, or whether it's plastic, like a polymer, like a candy wrapper. The idea of using something once is the true issue. And that was all invented in the 1950s, and it one, in a very big way, because it brought about unparalleled affordability and convenience. So that's the recipe. Now, you know, many times we say, well, we got to recycle our way out of this, right? And look, I say it as a recycling company. Recycling is important, critically important. It's a wonderful thing. But it's not ever going to solve the idea of waste because it depends on the idea of waste to exist. You can't have a recycling industry without the idea of garbage. And in fact, the idea of recycling really only emerged sometime after the idea of waste was invented. So if waste was invented in the 1950s, recycling was really invented in the 1970s in its modern uh, uh, form. And we mention this because we really need to, to solve for waste. We really need to challenge the relationship we have with our products. In fact, that's how a new division of ours uh, recently began called Loop, which is about how do we solve waste at the root cause? 
So if we believe using something once is the root cause of waste, then going back to uh, using something multiple times, durability, refilling, reusing would be the solution. And so we want to make sure people think about that versus just think that we can recycle our way out of the issue. All right. So listeners, if you remember at the top of the episode, I mentioned Tom was now operating two ventures, right? So you have TerraCycle, you have now this new division, Loop. So Tom, can you state kind of briefly, what is Loop? And then broadly speaking, can you take us through the life cycle of a popular product today and how that changes with Loop? Absolutely. So Loop, which you can learn more about at loopstore.com in the US, and then from there, look at other countries, is an engine. It's an engine for brands to move from single-use products or packaging that the consumer owns in the end, but I think ironically doesn't want to own, to multi-use products or packages that the consumer only borrows. And so that is the key shift. Now, how does that manifest? Is that, say, your Haagen-Dazs ice cream container moves from being in coated paper to something like double-wall stainless steel. Your you know, seventh-generation dish soap container moves from being plastic to beautiful glass. Your laundry detergent, you know, say Tide, moves from being in uh, bright orange plastic to something like stainless steel and, and hundreds and hundreds of other examples. What's been really amazing is that almost most of the major producers in the world have joined Loop in some capacity, whether Nestle, Mars, Pepsi, Coke, and Danon, Clorox, Unilever, P&G, and so on and so forth. But it's also an engine for uh, retailers. Uh, so here in the U.S., Kroger and Walgreens have joined Loop, uh, Loblaw in Canada, Tesco in the U.K., Carrefour in France. These are all the leading retailers of these various countries. And we also have Japan and Germany and Australia coming up very soon. So for the retailers, the idea is that they can embed Loop into their digital stores as well as their physical brick and mortar stores so that consumers can access it. So now how does this come to life for a consumer is you'd be able to go to, and you can do this today, you know, so Walgreens or Kroger, and today on their websites, you could find a Loop. And from there, you would be able to buy durable versions of your favorite products uh, and really the world's biggest brands from your Haagen-Dazs ice cream to your Tropicana orange juice and everything in between. And you uh, buy them, you pay about the same for the content, uh, but then you put a deposit on these beautiful durable packages. And durable packages not only make it available for reuse, but also significantly elevate the design and the materials used in the packages and in some cases even create new functions that packages could never do before. So it's really like the future of consuming. And uh, these uh, packages are then uh, delivered to you in a durable, uh, reusable shipping container. So no cardboard, no bubble wrap and, and, and those throwaway shipping supplies. And then when you're done with it, this is the key. We try to emulate the convenience of disposability. So once you're done with your, let's say, durable loop Haagen-Dazs container and your durable loop, let's say, Cascade uh, dish soap uh, container, you simply put it back into the bin, no cleaning, just like garbage. Like throw it in there, don't sort it, don't clean it, nothing like that. And then uh, we pick it up from you. And you just request a pickup. And uh, once we get it, you get all your deposits back in full, no matter what shape the container came back to us in. We then sort it and clean it and provide it back to the manufacturers who refill it and the cycle goes around again. And uh, if you find Loop in store, which you'll be able to do next year in these leading retailers, then you would buy it in store, you know, do the same, pay a, a cost for the content about the same as normal, and pay a deposit for the beautiful, functional, reusable container, and then just drop it off back at the store on your next uh, shopping trip. And then you get your deposit back, uh, and then uh, the manufacturers get the packaging back for refilling. So there's a lot to unpack there, but if you really want 
want to simplify it, it's like bringing the milkman back in a very modern way uh, across not just milk, but just about every consumer product type you can imagine. Wow. Okay, so I have a, a couple questions there. Let's let's stick with the the Hagen Doss example. So, one, can you talk through your engagement with them? Did you personally bring the container to life? Was it a close collaboration? Kind of how you integrate with the brand on that end? Uh, and then, two, can you just talk about how you're able to support the pickup? delivery footprint? Are you working you know, with just a traditional mail carrier? But I would love to hear you explore both of those. Absolutely. So let's start with the first one. You know, uh, The brands, in the end, do the design of the packaging. In the Haagen-Dazs container, while it was very collaborative, I want to give most of the credit to Nestle for coming up with that amazing container. And the same in all the other hundreds and hundreds of other examples that have been uh, designed. What we do formally is review the packaging uh, and see if it can fit our rules. So there are some very strict rules to be able to have your packaging or product be listed under loop, just like there are strict rules for being organic. Uh, In our case, the rules are it must be durable, which means it can go around a minimum of 10 times, but ideally 100, but minimum of 10. Second is that it can be cleanable at the standards that that product requires, that category of product, which is very stringent cleaning practices. And third is that it can, at the end of its life, be recycled back into itself. So that ice cream container you know, goes around 100 times, and then on the 101st time, it's no longer good enough to go around. It can be melted down and made into the same ice cream container again, and then have another 100 uses and so on. That's for the package. There's even rules on the content. So for example, for content that cannot be recovered by loop, like the ice cream or like orange juice or like laundry detergent, we have no rules. But for content that can be recovered, let's say like a dirty diaper, if the content can come back and is unreasonable to reuse like a dirty diaper, it must go to recycling. And in fact, that's exactly what we're doing with Pampers in the French launch of Loop, as well as Always, which are Femcare pads. Um, When they come back, they get recycled. If the product can come back and is reasonable to reuse, then it must go to reuse. So we're doing that with like Bic in pen housings, uh, Oral-B on uh, toothbrush handles, and so on. So one is that they formally must pass those rules, but we also are very collaborative to try to help the brands if they're struggling to get there, which is where the collaboration comes in. We help their design agencies. We may recommend design agencies if they need us to help source packaging. We'll do the best we can there as well because we're building up a huge network of knowledge and partners to be able to enable reusable uh, design. Then once the brand has a working sort of functioning package, then it can start shipping in the loop uh, platform. Uh, and again, if you want to see what that looks like, if you're in the northeast of the U.S., you can go to loopstore.com. Or if you're anywhere in the world, uh, go to buydurable.com uh, so you can uh, get in line for when it launches in your country. Now, the second part of your question you asked about was the logistics. And this is why we are partnering with the world's biggest retailers uh, in the U.S., like Kroger and Walgreens, and then abroad, you know, in Canada, Loblaw, and in Europe, companies like Carrefour and Tesco, uh, because we want to leverage their supply chains. So in the e-commerce version of Loop, if the retailer has its own uh, fleet, and many do, they do the shipping to you, and they also pick up the empties. So they'll just pick up the empties on whatever next delivery of product you make. If the retailer does not have its own shipping fleet, then it would be like a UPS or FedEx type organization. Uh, UPS, though, is our preferred partner in uh, in the U.S. They've been really just very collaborative on Loop and helped us do some amazing things like invent 
cooling systems for uh, things like ice cream all the way to orange juice that arrive frozen or chilled to your door with no disposable uh, cooling technology, which is typically how stuff ships today. So a UPS would deliver it to you and uh, pick it up. Then if you buy it in store, you would simply buy it in store as normal, but then you would also drop it off in store into a loop recollection bin that uh, we would then service at a store level. Loop is partnered with the biggest brands in the world, the biggest. Why do you think they said yes? And what does success look like for them? Sure. So why these, or, and by the way, you know, we are talking about the biggest and I'm going to answer your question directly in a moment, but we also are working with startups, you know, so tiny organizations as well, companies that just began or companies that just have a few employees. So we really are for everyone, but of course, you know, people are really uh, fascinated by how we got the large mega organizations, uh, both brands and retailers to join. And what got these large organizations like Pepsi or Coca-Cola or Danon, you know, to, uh, to join in is that Loop provides two key benefits. It provides a massive sustainability solve. You know, it moves from um, packaging that is disposable, where the best possible solution is that it gets recycled, to packaging that is reusable. So it's a game-changing sustainability improvement. So that is one major benefit. But the other has nothing to do with sustainability, but is just as profound, which is that it allows for incredibly dynamic innovation in the packaging, allowing the packaging to be made from beautiful, amazing materials that were never, uh, you know, that were never possible before, like stainless steel instead of disposable plastic, all the way to embedding features into packaging that were uh, before not possible either, just simply because disposable packaging has to exist at an incredibly low price per unit, while in durable packaging, because you are borrowing the packaging, you can go to much higher uh, investments in the packaging. And this is the great thing for consumers is consumers, many consumers flock to Loop because it's a reusable system. But many consumers also flock to Loop because it's just the coolest way to design those particular packages. And frankly, I don't care why someone comes to Loop. I just hope they do uh, from an environmental point of view. But I know not everyone cares at the same level about the environment. And so we wanted to make it something that will appeal just to your sense of it's the best products out there. Anecdotally, you have your pint of ice cream and everyone's gone through this before where a couple minutes in, it starts to melt and now the packaging is uncomfortable. It's melting over you or it's the actual packaging itself is starting to semi-disintegrate. It's a step function increase in the efficacy and the beauty of the product. What other features that you've explored here? Are you particularly proud of? Um, would love to get a sense of you know, what other features are being implemented in the system. So I would say that when we first came to Loop, the goal was how do we solve waste? Remember, TerraCycle is a garbage company. So we came to it with the thesis of how do we eliminate the idea of waste? And we said, let's go from single-use to multi-use products and packages. And then we very quickly realized that there's this massive opportunity for design. And we've you know, already talked about that. What we've recently started discovering is that there's also a direct relationship with your used product. Now, this may seem benign, but it's actually very powerful. So today, when you go to a, a store, especially an online store, you can see everything you ordered and you can see your order history. It's pretty typical. But with Loop, you can do that, but we also see what you returned. And the difference between what you ordered and what you returned is what's in your home live right now. Now, 
what can we do with that function? Uh, and how can a consumer's life become better by us knowing what's in their home real time? So for example, one function that we're developing that will be live late this year is a function that will email you X days, and you define X, X days before any product in your home is about to expire. So instead of discovering expired products in your pantry, you get an email and it says, in 10 days from now, your pasta sauce and your suntan lotion and maybe your pickles are going to expire. And we recommend, you know, eating some pickles and pasta uh, out in the beach, you know, <laughs> to uh, uh, you know, so you don't have to uh, throw them out ten days later. So that could be a really interesting solve there. Or let's say you have, you know, by knowing what's in your home, if you have someone coming over, you know, who has, let's say, aggressive peanut allergies, or maybe is kosher and wants to have a kosher dinner, you can just select whatever diet feature you would like, and all the products in your home that comply or don't comply with that diet feature show up cleanly instead of you having to look at the back of every label. All the way to even enabling auto reordering from the empty packaging. So instead of a subscription model where you get a box every month, it's your empty bottle that would trigger the order of the next one, which means that it's perfectly timed subscription. And if you stop consuming that product, then replenishment or reorder stops showing up. Oh my gosh. So two initial thoughts on the first one, that that problem alone, right? The, the amount of waste that happens in the home. I think the New York Times recently published an article that pegged this problem as a trillion dollar global problem. And most of the issue is born at the house level, right? You have restaurants, you have grocery, but it's a disproportionate percentage of waste happens in the home because it goes to waste in your fridge, in your pantry, and you toss it. Um, so that is fascinating. And same with same with the last point about replenishment, right? I can't speak to the number of occasions where you get something in the mail too soon, you're getting now three products of something that you still haven't finished. It just respects the person, right? It just is more cognizant and intelligent. Hey, you haven't finished this yet. We respect that. The best thing you can do, right, in the world is stop consuming. That is by far the most important thing. So, you know, the the next thing we can help people do, because you still have to feed yourself, is let's consume as responsibly as possible. Let's create as less food waste, as less product waste, as uh, uh, less product we don't want. Uh, and then let's have everything show up in multi-use, reusable containers. And if the product is not a food, like not a consumable, let's have it show up in a way where that product can then go to the next person. That makes a ton of sense. So I, I want to ask one more question about the market more broadly. And I'm particularly interested given how long you've been exploring the category and creating solutions here. Five, six years ago, there was this big bust around clean tech. And over the last couple of years, it looks like clean is having this really impressive comeback. What's your take on this? And should we be optimistic that it's not just a fad. You know, it's a good question. You know, taking the uh, you know the silver ball and saying, okay, are we going to um, you know is this going to stay or not? What I would say is that it's all in the power of the consumer. I think most consumers you know feel like they're powerless. That it's large organizations, manufacturers, retailers, the government, um, you know, that are sort of driving and have their hands on the steering wheel, and you know that we're manipulated by advertising and we're just sort of sheep, if you will, uh, in this whole equation. But the reality is the God in the equation is the consumer. Because what consumer product companies are focused on is thinking about figuring out what you want and then getting that to you in the most amazing, convenient, and affordable way. 
Um, and in fact, when you walk into a supermarket, what you see on shelf is a direct reflection of your desires. And we have the greatest sort of democratic ability to vote for our future, not as much with the political vote, but with the economic one, because there we're voting multiple times a day for the future we want with actual money. And this is so important for us to understand. So if we want to see something like clean tech, you know, really grow and we want to, um, you know, see products that are reusable or ethical or whatever they may be, whatever is important to you, vote for them constantly vote for them and don't vote for things that don't do that. And a good way to think about this is the next time you go shopping, whatever you buy, two more will appear the next day, one to replace the one you bought and another to signify the trend. And then of course, whatever you didn't buy, one less will appear to signify the trend. And if you realize that and you really open your heart to that, because that is really how the way it works, then would you shop any differently? I mean, I would love to play this exact 60-second bit on repeat. I'd love to transition to one of the most important sections in all of our interviews. It's around impact, right? So this whole interview, we've really dug into the nitty-gritty, but the purpose of this show is to offer our listeners a reason to be optimistic about the future. And we think the way to do this is by highlighting progress, right? Show them that things are being done, problems are being solved. So my question for you is, when you think about impact at TerraCycle and now Loop, how are you thinking about measuring it? And then can you speak to any milestones that will help the listeners fully conceptualize the progress that we've made to date? Sure. So we look at impact in TerraCycle uh, by how much waste that wasn't otherwise recyclable, that would have only ended up in a landfill or an incinerator, how much waste have we been able to uh, collect uh, and recycle? And today we're doing one to two million pounds of such waste on a weekly basis. Um, another way we look at it is uh, how many people we engage, and we're about a quarter billion people engaged around 21 countries uh, who are collecting and changing their habits. We also look at how much money we've been able to generate for charities, and we're uh, just under uh, $50 million being donated to charities uh, for doing all this work. Those are some of the factors that we look at on the TerraCycle side. And in the Loop side, we look at how much disposability have we been able to avoid uh, by using reusable packaging. Now, Loop is very new, so we don't have major numbers there to report yet, but we will you know, in time. Uh, Loop just launched literally just a few months ago. Wow. And again, before we kick off to the lightning round, What's next from here, Tom? You know, what's the moonshot? What other opportunities are your teams exploring? You know, for us, the real focus right now is uh, scale. You know, really scaling Loop by bringing in as many products as absolutely possible, as well as uh, checking out how far and wide we can go. You know, we just contracted with one of the largest fast food restaurants in the world to see if we can bring the Loop model to coffee cups and carbonated soft drink glasses and so on and so forth. So there's really a lot to do in what we have, and we're really focusing right now on scaling as absolutely fast as uh, as possible. Amazing, and I can't wait to to follow you guys here. My favorite part of every interview, it's the lightning round. We'll ask four questions. Uh, you'll try to answer them in 60 seconds or less. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. All right. So, Tom, you have such an impressive resume, but one thing that 
really piqued my interest was your linguistic expertise. You you speak four languages. So for albeit aspiring language learners out there, what's your how-to for dummies? What's your how-to guide here? Well, to be very fair, I speak two languages really well. I would say Hungarian and English, and then I understand two languages, German and French, but not uh, not at the same level as Hungarian and English. And I'm not actually really great at languages or learning them. It just happened on how my life went. You know, I was born in Hungary, so I picked it up there. Then I lived in Germany and uh, lived in Canada where we learned French, uh, and of course English, you know, throughout. So for me, there's no great skill at it. I was actually pretty bad at learning languages in school. It was just more where I was born and what I was exposed to. You're the CEO of these massively ambitious efforts. My question is, how? How do you manage your lifestyle? How do you balance work with non-work exercise? What are your tips and tricks here? Well, I wouldn't say my life is balanced. Um, uh, I, I do the very best I can, but I'm seeking more balance. Um, you know, I have two little kids, a, a two and four year old, and you know, I want to spend as much time with my family uh, uh, as I absolutely can. So I, I do, you know, what I can, but I wouldn't call it balance. You know, the the work takes a, a phenomenal amount of time, and you know, someone said that in an, in an entrepreneurial environment, you can, you know, choose, uh, uh, you know, things like, you know, are you going to focus on your health? Or are you going to focus on the work? Or are you going to focus on family? Or are you going to focus on friends and you can choose two of the four, I would say I've chosen work and uh, family as much as possible. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a constant struggle to try to maintain balance. But I think that must be the case for many folks out there. If you weren't working on TerraCycle and Loop, what problem area would you be exploring and why? I would pick a problem, you know, most likely environmental, but uh, if not societal, that I could solve through the tool of business. I think uh, business is the most powerful vehicle for change. And why not leverage it, not just to make money, uh, but to leave the world a better place? I like that bit too. And the last question of the lightning round, who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? The failures. You know, uh, for me, uh, anytime something doesn't go well, it's a great opportunity to learn. Uh, and in fact, I think the only real mistake is not learning from one's failures. Um, but there's so much amazing uh, knowledge you can get when things don't go right, because you can really dissect it to understand what went wrong and how to adapt and how to change. Well, you handled the lightning round with ease. I will say that if someone asks me, Peter, how can you be optimistic about the future? I'll say, listen to the episode with Tom. That's all I will say. <laughs> Tom, seriously, this was such a pleasure. Before we send the listeners off, I'd love to lay out the red carpet. Are there any final plugs? What, you know, what are you working on? Do you have any major hiring needs? Um, the red carpet is yours. Well, thank you. I mean, look, if you'd like to recycle what you can't recycle, check out TerraCycle.com. And uh, if uh, you want to look at reusable and reusable lifestyle, please visit LoopStore.com. And outside all that, the best thing you can do is uh, stop buying things and really you know, think about the things we buy um, very differently. Well, there you have it, people. Tom, thank you so much again. This was an amazing conversation. Thanks for your time. It was a real pleasure. Such a pleasure having Tom on the show. Truly one of my favorite conversations yet. And to Lauren for your help setting this up. And sincere thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you for giving us a little bit of your time today. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. It really does mean a lot to us. I need to thank Lucas Arndt and Dan Mahoney who produced this week's episode. 
and to our music director, Eddie Knuckles. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and if you'd like to recommend a guest, sponsor an episode, or help spread the message, you can find us on social at InGoodHands or our website, InGoodHands.us. Again, huge, huge thanks to all of you for your support. We really do appreciate it and can't wait to bring you another new episode next Tuesday.